Hello and happy holidays. Welcome to the Midday Christmas Eve Special. I'm Tom Hall. Today we'll spend the hour listening to some music and some poetry of the season, plus a story by Baltimore writer Rafael Alvarez. Our music will include selections by two of America's most acclaimed African-American composers, Rosephany Powell and James Lee III. We'll also hear a traditional carol arranged by Robert Shaw and Alice Parker, as well as some music by Hector Berlioz and Handel's Hallelujah Chorus. Our selections of poetry will include famous verse by Alfred Lord Tennyson and T.S. Eliot, plus a poignant Chinese proverb and a special reading by Louis Armstrong. Thanks for joining us. The Midday Christmas Eve special starts right after the news. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Midday, the Midday Christmas Eve special. I'm Tom Hall. Today we'll sample some music that features the chorus and orchestra of the Baltimore Choral Arts Society. We'll hear some poetry and we'll listen to a story by Baltimore writer Rafael Alvarez. How about we start the festivities with some music. Here's a beautiful carol arranged by Robert Shaw and Alice Parker. I saw three ships come sailing in. I saw three ships come sailing in. I saw three ships come sailing in in a recording by the Baltimore Choral Arts Society. It's from the CD Christmas at America's First Cathedral. I'm Tom Hall. I'm the conductor on this album, which was released in 2010. Now, Sienna Greaves joins us with a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Here's Ring Out Wild Bells. Ring out wild bells to the wild sky. The flying cloud, the frosty light. The year is dying in the night. Ring out wild bells and let him die. Ring out the old, ring in the new. Ring happy bells across the snow. The year is going, let him go. Ring in the false, ring in the true. Ring out the grief that saps the mind. For those that hear, we see no more. 
Ring out the feud of rich and poor. Ring in redress to all mankind. Ring out a slowly dying cause and ancient forms of party strife. Ring in the nobler modes of life with sweeter manners, purer laws. Ring out the want, the care, the sin, the faithless coldness of the times. Ring out, ring out my mournful rhymes, but ring the fuller minstrel in. Ring out false pride and place and blood, the civic slander and the spite. Ring in the love of truth and right. Ring in the common love of good. Ring out old shapes of foul disease. Ring out the narrowing lust of gold. Ring out the thousand wars of old. Ring in the thousand years of peace. Ring in the valiant man and free, the larger heart, the kindlier hand. Ring out the darkness of the land. Ring in the Christ that is to be. That was Ring Out Wild Bells, a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson, read by Sienna Greaves. Now, a motet for a cappella chorus by James Lee III. He's on the faculty of Morgan State University, and his music is performed all over the world. This is a setting of a text from the Psalms, Create in Me a Clean Heart.
Music by James Lee III, A Clean Heart, from the CD Christmas at America's First Cathedral. I conducted the Baltimore Choral Arts Society. I'm Tom Hall. You're listening to the Midday Christmas Eve Special. Coming up, Baltimore writer Rafael Alvarez tells us the story of Aunt Lola. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Midday Christmas Eve Special. I'm Tom Hall. That was music by Rosephany Powell. The Baltimore Choral Art Society singing an African praise song on a text from the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria, Ogonifun Olua, which means rejoice, glory be unto the Lord. Now, a holiday story from Baltimore writer Rafael Alvarez about Aunt Lola. Aunt Lola. The gate to Aunt Lola's yard hung limp on broken hinges, closed with a piece of rope. Basilio let himself in from the alley and walked over cracked concrete to her back door. It was nearly dawn on Christmas Eve, stars fading into a gray, cloudy sky, a sea bag full of gifts on his shoulder. He paused before knocking, staring in as Lola moved around the kitchen in her housecoat, sipping coffee. She didn't hear him when he rapped lightly, 
So he watched a moment more, looking at post-war metal cabinets thick with brown paint and wrinkled decals of horses, an old Oriole stove, a tank without a thermostat, next to a top-of-the-line Kenmore fridge, a morning gift from Lola's kids when their father had passed away the year before. On the wall, next to a one-week-left-in-the-year calendar from Our Lady of Pompeii, a studio portrait of the original Bambachi sisters, Mary, Stella, Anna, Francesca, and Amelia, unsmiling in old country sepia before dispersal to orphanages, servants' quarters, and inevitably, America. During the Great Depression, when being poor meant nothing more than not having money, the sisters had populated the alley with children, a score of first cousins that included Basilio's father, son of Francesca, and Lola, daughter of Anna. Basilio and Lola, whom he called aunt out of respect, they were the only ones left in the 600 block of South Macon Street. The rest were dead or scattered in a grasses greener hopscotch that began in an alley once known for homemade wine and rose bushes before skipping out to Dundalk and then Rosedale and White Marsh and now out to the godforsaken subdivided pastures of Harford County. The family would be celebrating Christmas Eve out there, all except Lola and Basilio. Lola's children had tried for a year to get her out of the house to no avail, and Basilio, who made ends meet painting pictures of seafood on the sides of refrigerated trucks and didn't own a car, sure wasn't hiking out to Falston just for dinner. Lola came to the door and pulled the curtain, her face creased with lines that he'd drawn a thousand times over. Lola squinted, recognized him, and unlocked the door as he plucked something from his bag, the satchel immediately lighter by half. Hey, hon, said Lola. What you doing up so early? Giving out presents, he said, stepping into the warmth of fresh coffee, dishwater, and oil heat, holding a heavy, long-handled cookie iron in front of her. This one had your name on it, he said. In the long moment that Lola puzzled over the well-worn contraption, Basilio realized he hadn't been a boy for a very long time. What is it? Lola asked. What is it? Lola felt around on top of the washing machine that stood between the door and the sink and found her eyeglasses. Good God, she said. I ain't seen one of them in many a year. As she poured coffee for him, Basilia opened the flat jaws of the pizzelle iron to show what was engraved there. The miraculous medal of Our Blessed Mother on one side and a busy weave of diamonds on the other. Miraculous. A floral M in a constellation of petitions the initial interwoven with a cross, surrounded by twelve stars. He set the iron across the newspaper on the table, yesterday's headlines confirming his cynicism, and looked around the spotless row house. Aunt Lola didn't have a tree, but carols were playing on a plastic AM radio, and she taped Christmas cards to the spokes of the banister in the middle room. What the hell am I going to do with a pizzelle iron, she said, hanging on the wall? and just before Basilio could say that that wasn't such a bad idea, before he could say that, something better occurred to him. I don't know, hon, said Aunt Lola. How hard can it be, Aunt Lola? I turned many a pizzelle iron, she said, but one of my cousins picked up on the recipe, not me. No one wrote it down? Didn't have to, so nobody did. We can do it, he said, drumming his fingers across the plastic tablecloth. 
eggs, sugar, flour, and butter like anything else you make. Got plenty of sugar, she said, but baking powder, baking soda, I don't keep that stuff around anymore. Well, the store does, said Basilio, getting up to peek in the fridge, empty except for a small carton of milk, a jug of water, and two meatballs and a dish of tomato sauce. There's some vegetable oil in the cabinet, she said, but the main thing is the anise, said Basilio. Lola moved to a roll-top hutch, Pennsylvania Dutch stenciling on the lacquered wood, and found a crusty brown medicine bottle, bone dry. Don't let them give you extract. It's too weak, she said, handing him the bottle. Oil of anise, same as what you're holding there. Lola went for her change purse, but Basilio was already at the door. Be right back, he said, picking up his sea bag on the way out the front. On the street, he counted the houses as he passed them and remembered who used to live there. Mr. Kugler, the German, who made beer in his basement, put on lederhosen to hike in Patterson Park and was head chef at the bottle cap factory down by the railroad tracks when it employed more than a thousand people. Miss Helen, a tough Polish lady who shucked oysters in cold packing houses on Boston Street. She worked as hard as any man and would tell you without being asked. We didn't have no women's lib in them days. We just worked. His grandparents' house in the middle of the block, where on a Christmas Eve 40 years earlier, Basilio had lost a flying beetle doll, John, lost him above these tarred roofs, a toy enjoyed for a moment before it disappeared into the cold night sky. And how he cried. Two blocks up, he hit Eastern Avenue and turned left toward the old Chessie underpass, built in 1930 when the factory was supplying millions upon millions of crimped, cork-lined crowns to bottlers around the world. A train rolled by as he walked beneath the trestle, and he stopped to absorb the feel of it, remembering stories of Depression-era kids being sent to pick up loose coal to throw in pot-bellied stoves, cheap coal that burned dirty, and every now and then blew up a house. The train passed, and he moved into the Highland Town shopping district, reaching into his bag to give away a baseball cap, the mighty orange cartoon bird, freshly laundered and smiling, to a boy young enough to be happy about it. He gave a repaired rosary to a Salvadoran woman pushing a stroller with two kids in it, and he laid a little holiday Feliciano on her, and she smiled. He unloaded everything he had in the short walk to De Pasquale's, near the corner of Golf and Conkling. Sometimes during this annual ritual of passing out unwrapped oddities that people would have stepped over if they hadn't been presented as gifts, he'd see the very thing he'd given away, a plastic action figure or a ball with a few bounces left in it, a redistribution of something more impossible than wealth. He'd see it lying in the gutter alongside the spot where he'd just offered it. At De Pasquale's, around the corner from Zanino Funeral Home where his grandfather had been laid out, Basilio ordered a double espresso from the girl behind the deli counter and drank it down. His duffel no longer a St. Nick sack, but a grocery bag, as he grabbed what he needed. At the register, he took out the anise bottle and asked if they could refill it for him, the way Lola said they did back when you got anise at the pharmacy. Studying the bottle like an Indian arrowhead, the cashier chuckled and handed it back to him, along with a plastic bottle of anise, just as small marked 595. In Basilio's wake, 
Someone was buying ricotta, and someone was getting hauled out to a hearse. On an opposite corner, Mr. Stan Schneider was selling last-minute inventory at his custom foam shop, pierced hearts and holly for the cemetery, and twinkling lights for fake trees. One goes out, and the whole string goes out. Got it, said Basilio, walking back into Lola's house without knocking. The kitchen table was covered with wax paper, and an empty aluminum spaghetti pot sat on the counter. Aunt Lola was leaning up against the washing machine, counting on her fingers. I think I got it too, she said. It'll all come back to me when I start making the dough. She cracked a half dozen eggs into the pot and tossed everything else in after them, pouring out a couple of tablespoons of the anise oil, Basilio holding the pot steady as she leaned over it with an electric mixer, the beaters nicking the edges. And then she took a dab of the dough and fashioned a small cross from it, sticking the icon to the back of the stove where they'd see it as they worked. My mother always did that, she said. For luck, I guess. Basilio turned a knob on the stove and put a match to the front burner. The oven as old as the railroad underpass, bought at Bullwickie's and in the house for years before Lola moved in on her wedding day. The iron lay over the open flame. Good and hot, said Lola. It's got to be good and hot. And soon she was dropping small balls of dough between the scored jaws of the iron. The first few were pale prototypes, trial and error, and an almost good one for every three that weren't right at all. Let me try, said Lola, taking the iron and dipping under the weight of it. My God, it's heavy. Basilio held her wrists in his hands. They were soft and pudgy like the dough, and he helped her turn the iron. They made a keeper and flipped it onto the wax paper. The cookie flat and crisp and light brown around the edges. The M of Mary raised in perfect legibility. Lola had been up since three that morning, and she couldn't get back to sleep, but she was tired now. I'm going to rest my eyes a little bit, she said, moving to the couch in the front room. Just a couple minutes. And a couple minutes was all it took for Basilio to get the ambidextrous hang of making the cookies by himself, as though the iron and the dough were brushes in his hand. Open, plop, squeeze long enough to say a Hail Mary, turn the iron, sing a verse of God Only Knows by the genius Brian, open, pluck, repeat, 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 as Aunt Lola breathed in the warm aroma, the licorice scent of the anise perfuming her dreams. Awake, we recognize and remember the mystery of more than 10,000 smells through a thousand genes and a thousand receptors. They come together the way letters form words and words make sentences. Asleep, this gift multiplies and the receptors that told Lola Pizzelles were piling up in the kitchen, had bonded in her heart into the shape of a teardrop. Science promises that in the future smell may be restored to those who've lost it, a day when appetite, fear, and longing will be given back to people unable to follow their nose. But until that day, two dozen Pizzelles on the kitchen table, three dozen, four. As pictures moved in Lola's gray head, Glimpses of the trucking company at Foster and Oldham when it was a pasture, the day when her mother unwittingly burned up the rent money by hiding it from her husband in the oven. Basilio turned the iron and stared out into the alley. Out there in the weeds and the litter and the dog crap, he saw the days when he'd be taken into small dark bedrooms,
crowded with heavy furniture and crucifixes. Crucifixes large enough to be planted on Calvary, vanity tables turned to altars for sick old ladies as the Bambachi sisters fell away, one by one. He never remembered their names. He could never tell the difference between Aunt This One and Aunt That One, the room smelling of death and noxema as the aged brushed their hair below 3D collages of the Sacred Heart, frames of bleeding butterfly wings that scared and transfixed a boy no taller than the post at the end of the bed. Come here, kid, they'd say in broken English. Come here. Let me look at you. For taking five small steps from the foot of the bed to the head with a little nudge from behind, for letting his cheek be touched, Basilio would get a quarter. Remembering what a long, hard road those five steps had been, he decided that when Lola woke up, they would retrace them together. And when she did, she found the table crowded with cookies, the aluminum pot rimmed with crusts of dried dough soaking in the sink. Good Lord, how long was I sleeping, she said, nibbling the edges of a pizzelle. And what are we going to do with all these cookies? Give them away, said Basilio. Sounds good to me, said Lola. I slept good. They packaged the cookies in tins Lola found in the basement, dusty things that were once packed with Getz's caramel creams, SK sausage, and Utz potato chips, old drums that she rinsed out and layered with the last of the wax paper. Seven dozen, she said, just like I thought we'd get from what we whipped up. She started nibbling another cookie, and Basilio picked up the phone and called for a cab. Where are we going, hon? Falston, he said. Falston, said Lola, happy to take a ride. Wait till they get a load of us. The cab honked, and they walked out the front door. Lola with one tin and Basilio behind her with two more. His sea bag lay empty on the kitchen floor. The cold was sharp, and the late afternoon sky was heavy with the possibility of snow. I dreamt the bottle cap factory was on fire, she said, as they got into the cab. That cork burned for a week when we was kids. We didn't think they'd ever put it out. It's going to be new again, said Basilio, telling the cabbie to ride by the factory on his way out of the neighborhood. Just like the old American can building over in Canton. Canton, sure, over in Canton everything's new. But not here, said Lola. I'm just saying, Aunt Lola, hold on to your house. It's going to be worth a lot of money one day. Where the hell am I going to go, she said, a month away from her 75th birthday. When I go, I'm going straight from here to Zanino's. The cab turned for the interstate, then traveled over the river and through the woods, Pizzelles warming Lola's lap through the bottom of the tin. Baltimore writer Rafael Alvarez. That was his holiday story, Aunt Lola. I'm Tom Hall. You're listening to the Midday Christmas Eve special.
More music by the great African-American composer Rosephany Powell. That was Ring the Bells. That's a piece I commissioned. When I was the music director of the Baltimore Choral Arts Society, we released this recording back in 2010. I'm Tom Hall. You're listening to the Midday Christmas Eve Special. Coming up after a quick break, music by the great Dave Brubeck. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Midday Christmas Eve Special. I'm Tom Hall. Today we're sampling some music and readings of the season. Next up, a modern spiritual by Rosephany Powell. This is one of the pieces I commissioned from Rosephany when I was the music director of the Baltimore Choral Arts Society. We released this recording back in 2010. It's called Christmas at America's First Cathedral. This cut features soprano Janice Chandler Eteme. It's called Have You Seen the Baby Jesus? Have you seen the baby Jesus? Have You Seen the Baby Jesus? That's an original spiritual by Rosephany Powell, sung by the Baltimore Choral Art Society and soprano Janice Chandler Eteme. I'm Tom Hall. I conducted this recording when I was the music director of choral arts in 2010. 
It's the Midday Christmas Eve special. Next up, Jamila Krempel has this ancient Chinese proverb. Where there is light in the soul, there will be beauty in the person. Where there is beauty in the person, there will be harmony in the house. Where there is harmony in the house, there will be order in the nation. Where there is order in the nation, there will be peace in the world. Wisdom to keep in mind in this holiday season and in all seasons. A Chinese proverb read by Jamila Krempel. Now, music of Dave Brubeck. Most people know Dave as one of the most iconic pianists in the history of jazz. But Dave was also a composer of lots of music for chorus. Here's a beautiful a cappella gem in its world premiere recording featuring the Baltimore Choral Art Society. This is Precious Gifts. Music of the great Dave Brubeck with a text by his wife, Iola, who was an accomplished poet. Dave and Iola collaborated frequently. That was Precious Gifts. I'm Tom Hall. You're listening to the Midday Christmas Eve special. Now, a poem by T.S. Eliot. He was born in St. Louis, but he moved to Britain as a young man and became an English citizen. This is The Journey of the Magi. A cold coming we had of it. Just the worst time of year for a journey. And such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp. The very dead of winter. And the camels, galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. 
There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slope, the terraces and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camelmen cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor and women, and the night fires going out, and the lack of shelters, and the cities hostile, and the towns unfriendly, and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. Then, at dawn, we came to a temperate valley, wet, below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a water mill beating the darkness, and three trees on the low sky, and an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, six hands at an open door, dicing for pieces of silver, and feet kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information, so we continued and arrived at evening, not a moment too soon. Finding the place, it was, you may say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago. I remember, and I would do it again, but set down, this set down, this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us. Like death, our death. We return to our palaces, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. This is Louis Satchmo Armstrong talking to all the kids from all over the world at Christmas time. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Well, out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. 
Away to the window, I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. <laughs> With little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his courses they came. And he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen. On Comet, on Cupid, on Dunder and Blitzen. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the house top, the courses they flew with the sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas, too. And then, in a twinkle, I heard on the roof the prancing, the pawing of each little hoof. As I drew my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled. His dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses. His nose, like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed. <laughs> like a bowl of jelly. <laughs> he was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf. And I laughed when I saw him, in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know that I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a joke. <laughs> and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney, he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team, gave a whistle. And away they all flew 
like the down on a thistle. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight. Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. A very good night. And that goes for Satchmo too. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Tom Hall. I'm grateful to our producer and engineer, Luke Spicknall, and I'm grateful to you for joining us for our Midday Christmas Eve special. All of us on the Midday team wish you a very Merry Christmas and a happy and healthy New Year.